In a world that seems shaky and unsure, in a life that feels uncertain and unclear, there is this place that gives shelter from the storm, not by the roof over our heads. There's this place that puts solid ground under our feet, but not because the floor is strong. There's this place that's fortified on all its sides, but not because the walls are sturdy. This house of prayer is not a building, but it's built on the cornerstone of Jesus. A foundation poured from the Word of God. We faithful gather together, believers from all walks of life, followers of Christ, the body, the bride, sinners to be sure, but cleansed by the blood of Jesus, celebrating the new life made possible by the sacrifice Jesus made. It's here that we celebrate the good news, then go out to share it with a world in need of hearing it. This is the church. Come on in. You're always welcome here. We're going to start right away by reading from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. I always like to keep the uh, tech guys hopping. They don't know why the scripture's going to come in the middle of the sermon. It's right away, Ian. Get ready. But before I read, <laughs> just hang on. I, I thought it just came to me. Um, <laughs> the passage we're about to read is sometimes called, called <laughs> the salad passage of the Bible. And this is a ridiculous thing, but it will stick with you, trust me, for the rest of your lives. Do you know why it's called the salad passage? Because there's a bunch of lettuce in it. You'll get it, you'll get it in a minute. If you didn't get it now, you'll get it in a minute. You'll groan as I read here. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. <clears throat> and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Salad, right? A lot of lettuce. We'll get to those in just a minute. Last week, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Bonavista Baptist Church, and in some ways, it felt like uh, the, the, uh, the kickoff Sunday. Uh, today is actually kickoff Sunday. Uh, a little bit more subdued today, and that's okay. I think it's appropriate that kickoff Sunday is uh, celebrated around the table of communion, because that's the core of everything we do is found in Jesus. And so just as a reminder, as we launch into this new season, I want to put a couple of slides up on the screen that reminds us of our mission statement and our core values. Because no matter what we do here, we want to always to drive toward this mission. Our mission at Bonavista Baptist Church is to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Last Friday, 
um, the, the youth, Bonavista Baptist youth and Bonavista Evangelical youth got together in our parking lot for what's been called the Battle of Bonavista. And it sounds very aggressive. And this year, I'm pleased to announce that we won. Yeah. Right? So it's so interesting when you look at that and you see the chaos, the happy chaos for the most part, and all that happens in that, you wonder how on earth does this fit with our mission? But it does. As we gather together in community and as we uh, form relationships and as we speak the truth about God's word and as we have fun together, all of this is on purpose. Our 50th celebration, we had food and fun and we had all sorts of uh, people sharing stories. All of that is with the same purpose. And the purpose is to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that's so important for us to keep that focus. It's not a revolutionary mission statement. I mean, you go to any church and you'll find the same kind of words, maybe just assorted in a different way. And that's on purpose because we weren't meant to make up our mission. We don't get together and say, so what's the mission here? No, we've been given a mission. In fact, it's the mission of God in the world, isn't it? Jesus said to his followers, as you are going into the world, make disciples of all nations. But we are intentional about the words that we use. Despite the competition that we had, <laughs> the friendly competition with the youth, we want to make sure that our going into the world isn't in conquest of others. That's, the church got that wrong many, many times. In the making of disciples, we heard conquest. In this sign, conquer. And that's not what it's about at all. And we also actually are not in competition. We're not in competition with the church down the street, uh, Bonavista Evangelical, or any of the churches that meet here um, over the weekend. It's not a, a competition. Instead, we want to use the words of and the language of invitation and encouragement. So do you hear that in the mission statement? To invite and encourage and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's this invitation in that we want to highlight as we are careful with our language. And so in order to do this, uh, we have three main values that we often talk about. And I want to highlight them here because it'll come up again just later in the message. The first value and uh, emphasis that we have is this, a passion for Christ. A passion for Christ. This speaks to our worship and what we do together in worship. And then we also want to cultivate a heart for people. That's another thing that we do together, and that speaks of our fellowship. It's kind of an old word, a bunch of fellows in a ship, it sounds like, right? Um, but it's this idea of being together and sharing life together, shared life. And then we want to cultivate a life of service, and this speaks to our outreach. So worship and fellowship and outreach. Again, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's what most churches focus on, and it's true here in what we do. So that's a little bit of a highlight and a reminder to us, just pin that in your mind and your memory as we go through the rest of the message together. Okay, in the mid-80s, uh, I received a gift, and I still to this day not sure how my parents got a hold of this, but I received a shiny, almost new computer. Anybody want to guess what kind of computer it was? A Commodore 64. <laughs> Anybody still have one? I mean, this thing rocked. It had a whopping 64 kilobytes of RAM memory. I mean, this thing was 
not going to hack into any, you know, MGM Grand or anything like that. There's been a bunch of cybersecurity attacks. This wasn't doing any of that, but I loved it. And I loved the fact that I was the only one in the family who knew how to use it. Um, so that's something. I'm the youngest of five boys. So I had to have something, some edge on all these guys that were older. This was my edge. I was a computer programmer overnight. Uh, it lasted a very short period of time, in case you're wondering. Um, but I learned a language, and the language, anybody know what the language we were learning then? Basic, yeah. Basic was basic, the very basic language. And this language, computer programming language, used a number of uh, statements. Uh, sometimes we call them if-then statements. If this is true, then we want the computer to behave this way. So these if-then statements. And I did magical, wonderful things with my computer programming skills. The first thing I did in order to impress my mother, I made the computer play the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Very, very modern, like, do, 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 right? It was like that. And she was so impressed. So she was assured that I was going to use this device for good and not for evil. That was the idea. And then to impress my brothers, I managed to design a cluster of pixels that randomly bounced around the screen. Anybody else do that? I'm, I'm pulling on some memories here for some of you. Others are going, what? That's so ridiculous. But I, and it was fascinating to watch this thing bounce randomly around the screen. I made this, right? Basic was the language, if then statements. Here's the point of my illustration. When we read through the book of Hebrews, we actually come across this same kind of basic language, this idea of if these things hold to be true, then we expect this behavior to follow. And we actually find that in the passage that we read, except we just read the then statements. We just read the behavior statements, what we expect. Statements like, let us boldly approach. Uh, into the holy place. Let us, all those salad verses are the then statements. It's how we're to behave. So what's the if? What's the thing that has to be true in order for the then statements to follow? Well, in order to find that, we need to read a little bit back. And I didn't put this on the screen, but I'm going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and starting at verse one. And if you have your Bibles, this is the if statement. If this is true, then our behavior together should change. Here's the if. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were ne never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer." That's the if statement, if, if. We're gonna to get to that in just a, a minute. But did you hear a little bit of that? It's, it's kind of a scathing review of the Old Testament sacrificial system. 
I don't know what you think of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Whenever I think of it, I just think of a lot of blood, a lot of bloodshedding. And if we're not careful, it sounds like God is a little bit bloodthirsty. He's just demanding more and more animals to be sacrificed at these altars as if people have to come and pay the price. But did you hear the, the end of that? What was the final summary? God did not desire this. God did not actually want this. That's not what he wanted. Why not? Well, all these sacrifices, the writer says, were a pale shadow, a pale shadow of the things to come. They only brought us in somewhat proximity to the shadow of God, but didn't bring us to God himself. These sacrifices in the Old Testament were not effective. They had to be done over and over again. They were not effective. When you want to do something right, you know, do it the first time right. Uh, But these weren't being done in such a way that they were effective. They had to be repeated. And then the writer says they were actually counterproductive. All of these old sacrifices simply reminded people of their sin. Let that sink in for a minute. In in chapter 10, verse 5, the writer says that God did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. These were a temporary provision, a structure for people to understand sin and salvation, but it wasn't at the heart of what God desired. God didn't want a bunch of bloodletting. He wanted our hearts. And in that sense, this isn't new. This is all found throughout the Old Testament writings as well. If you go to Hosea chapter 6, and you can find many, many verses like this, it says this, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. What's at the heart of God's desire? Love. I desire steadfast love, not all these outward sacrifices. In 1 Samuel, the prophet says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And obedience, we find out, especially through Jesus, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. What is God desiring? Love. And then in Micah chapter 6, this is a profound verse that we find under the old covenant that points us right to the gospel. It says this, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Do you ever wonder that? What can I bring to God? I I feel so distant. I feel like I'm not worthy. What do I have to do to feel pure and feel in his presence? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you hear how, how deep this, this writer, this prophet is wondering, what do I have to do to please God? And the answer comes like this. He has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a relief? I mean, giving up your firstborn would be terrible. Our secondborn thinks it might be okay, but... (laughs) But what an incredible relief. That's the good news of the gospel. Right there in the Old Testament, and it points us right to Jesus, and that's what the writer to Hebrew is picking up, in that all of these Old Testament, these old witness sacrifices, it wasn't that they were useless, it's just that they they were not effective at removing sin. And so the writer compares all that 
to the sacrifice of Jesus. And he says of the sacrifice of Jesus, this is the real thing. It's not the pale shadow. In the sacrifice of Jesus, we are brought near to God, not just the shadow of God. It's effective. It never needs to be repeated. As we gather around the table here, we didn't sacrifice Jesus all over again. It never needs to be repeated. It never needs to be repeated in our lives when we're feeling guilt and shame. We don't have to do some kind of penance. We don't have to do something that alleviates our shame. It's already been taken care of. Here's the point. The sacrifice of Jesus actually deals with sin. And this is what it says in the passage. I will never again remember their sins. Never again remember their sins. Whatever we have done in the past, God will not hold that against us. Our spouse might. (laughs) But God will not hold that against us. What good news we have for one another, for the world around us, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so here's the if. When sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. So if, and we can say since, Jesus has effectively dealt with our guilt and our shame on the cross, since this is true, then this is how we should live. And there's lots of statements we can make of how we should then live. That leads us to the salad verses in the passage. But I want to morph those verses into our three values. And so how should we live since Jesus has taken care of our sin? Well, first of all, we should develop a passion for Christ. We should be passionate about Jesus. It makes all the difference in the world. Because of Jesus, everything has changed. And unless we really, really see that, we won't develop that passion for Jesus. But since it's true, then we are to develop a passion for Christ. This is meant to impact our worship together. This is what it says in the passage. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Let us be passionate about our worship. Let us be bold in our worship and our prayer. Let us go with confidence into this as we develop a passion for Jesus. Second thing that we can do since the statement about Jesus and the cross is true, we can cultivate a heart for people. We can be generous with one another in our forgiveness. This impacts our fellowship, our life together. This is what the passage says. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another. Let's encourage each other because, why? Because Jesus has already dealt with our sin. So we don't need to deal with one another's sins. That's good news too. We don't have to judge one another. We don't have to condemn one another. We don't have to work out any kind of penance for one another. You owe me this because you did this to me. Wow, what a freeing thing. And if we can live in that reality, then we cultivate a heart for one another, a heart for people. But then thirdly, here's something else we can do, and it's in the passage too, and that is pursue a life of service. This impacts our outreach. Because of what Jesus has done, if that is true, and since that is true, then we can love the world around us with confidence, without feeling anxious about the world around us, without feeling defensive about the world around us. We can go with open hearts and open hands to serve. And this is what the passage says too. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. (laughs) Isn't that great? 
instead of our planning session wondering about how exactly we're going to do this or that, do we ever have planning sessions to think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works? What a great thing to do. Maybe that's what we need to do this afternoon. How can I think of ways to motivate Doug to love and good works? It's going to take some time, but I'll do it. He's not here. He's actually serving the children this morning. So I was told not to pick on Doug today, but I couldn't resist. We need to motivate one another to love and good works. And so this is a consequence, an outcome, a then statement because of what Jesus has done for us. Well, as we wrap this message up, I want to actually just get really, really practical and challenge you on a couple of things that we could do this fall in order to live out these realities. How do we develop a passion for Christ? Lots of different ways, but let me mention one. Starting on October 18th, I'm going to challenge you and you're going to challenge me to a 40 to 40 days of reading the New Testament. Now we've done this before. We've done a whole Bible reading challenge. We're not going to do what Pastor Eric does and read the Bible like 15 times a year. I can't remember how many times he does it, but he does a lot. Uh, but we're going to attempt to read uh, the New Testament in 40 days. And I have a secret on how you can do that and how it's achievable. And when we did this last time to challenge people to read the Bible, some people came to me and said, I had never been challenged to actually read the Bible before. I was really surprised. And then some people came and said, I didn't quite get through it all, but I was so blessed by this challenge and this reading. Because in reading scripture, what do we do? We develop a passion for Jesus. We develop a passion for Christ. Uh, we go right into the presence of God and we hold tightly to this hope that he's given us. And so that's what we want to do. That's October 18th. Mark that on your calendar. We're going to do a Bible reading challenge. Are you up for it? You don't have to show your hand right now, but that's one thing to develop a passion for Christ. How to develop a heart for people. Simple thing this fall. I want to encourage you to join a small group. It's very hard to develop a life uh, heart for people if we're never in contact with people. And that seems obvious, but I know in my own heart, there are times that I would like to just hide. And maybe there's a season in your life right now where you need to withdraw from people a little bit because you're, you're tired or you need some rest. That's okay. Uh, but generally speaking, I need to make sure that I'm in contact with people so that I can develop a heart for people. Just think about your neighbors for a moment. I have a confession to make. We had excellent neighbors for like seven years, wonderful people. And I realized that because of their presence in our neighborhood, our neighborhood was better, but then they left. And I have to confess, I've become a little bit bitter about their leaving and about the neighbors that have moved in. And this, oh, this is going public, but anyway, they won't watch this. <laughs> wonderful people, wonderful people. But I have to be careful that I just don't allow that to pile up and, and think about all the different things that are happening in the neighborhood. And I won't get into all the details, uh, but, but I have to be in touch with them. So I've made it a point of knowing their names and spending time outside when I get out of my car, not running into my house, saying hello, finding out what's happening in their life, right? Uh, because I need to be in touch with them if I'm going to develop a heart for people. So this is my encouragement. Join a small group. If you don't have a small group to join, on October 4th, we're doing a small group right here. If you don't have anywhere to go, come and see me. 
because on October 4th, we're gonna start up a life shared small group. It's a short group, just three weeks. And then we'll see if we can place you into, uh, into life groups. So join a small group. Third, how do we develop a life of service? Um, when we were in Nelson, we were part of the 4-H club and part of starting up a 4-H club. And it was a great experience. But they have a motto, and it's this, learn to do by doing. And I would like to use that for serving. Learn to serve by serving. Uh, just get active. Find something to do and see where it leads you. There's all kinds of things. Right after the service, there's a bunch of tables set up, and there's uh, different uh, ministries that are looking for help. Go talk to some of the ministry leaders and find out where you might plug in. But here's a great idea. Show up to the Guatemala meeting on Wednesday. And even if you're not sure if you can go, at least you can go and find out what's happening. At least you can be involved in praying and supporting the ministry. I'm sure that Pat and the others would love to see whoever would want to come out to find out what it means to serve beyond our walls in this capacity. So love our neighbors by serving these are just practical ways and so many practical ways where we can be a, be a start to live out some of these statements. A passion for Christ, a heart for people, and a life of service. Well, in the end, uh, the, the mission that we have to invite, encourage, and equip people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, it's not actually our mission. It's actually God's mission in the world, and we're invited to participate with what he is doing. As the Apostle Paul said this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you invite us to be co-workers with your son. And we pray that as we enter into this ministry season, that we do so with the confidence that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus, knowing that we are free and knowing that we can offer that freedom and forgiveness to others because of what he's done. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.